two passages of Scripture to get us started this evening. Acts chapter 10 and verse 39, and then 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Again, Acts chapter 10 and verse 39, and then 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 24. Uh, we keep the service right at an hour, and so we'll be getting out of here right at 7 o'clock, maybe a minute before, a minute after, but that's that's always the target time, Christmas Eve. But we want to take a few minutes and consider a passage from God's Word this evening, and we're going to go in a direction that's unconventional, uh, but uh, one that I think will be a good reminder for all of us. Acts chapter 10 and verse 39, we'll read that, and then we'll turn over to First Peter chapter 2 and look at verse number 24. I'll begin reading there in verse 39 of Acts 10. The Bible says, And we are witnesses of all things which he did both in the land of the Jews and in Jerusalem, who they slew and hanged on a tree. Whom they slew and hanged on a tree. Look at First Peter chapter 2 with me. In verse 24. The Bible says there, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. The title of the message this evening is this, God's Christmas Tree. God's Christmas Tree. We all think about the Christmas trees that many of us, if not most of us, have in our homes right now, and all of the work that goes into decorating those. Well, God also had a Christmas tree when Jesus was born and laid in that manger God had a tree in mind that was already growing somewhere in some field that would be hewn down and turned into a cross, and that cross where his son would hang. And so tonight we're going to look at God's Christmas tree. Let's pray. Lord, we're thankful to be able to gather this evening. We're thankful for our country where we have the freedom to do so. And America, with all of its problems, is still a country of great religious freedom and great prosperity. This time of the year, we realize that and we appreciate that. But Lord, we don't just want to focus on the liberty we have as American citizens, but yet the liberty we have as believers, the liberty we have through the cross, uh, salvation that's provided through the great sacrifice made there so many years ago. Thank you for being willing to allow your son to come and die in our place and provide an escape out of hell and a straight path into heaven. Thank you for the salvation. The greatest gift that could be wrapped and handed to us is not that which pertains to a diamond necklace or keys to a vehicle or any such uh, valuable uh, trinket or item. The greatest gift that could ever be wrapped and given to us is the gift of salvation. And we're thankful for that provision and all that went into making that happen. Tonight as we turn our attention to a sobering thought of the cross, Lord, help us to... Be grateful for that gift. And Lord, if there's one here that's not yet received the gift of eternal life, may tonight be the night they receive that gift, the greatest gift that could be received this Christmas season. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, Christmas trees have become an annual tradition of celebrating the birth of our Savior. The American Christmas Tree Association commissioned the company Nielsen to gather data on how many Amer how much Americans spend annually on Christmas trees. All right, stop and think. Uh, just pick a number in your head. 
how much money you think gets spent every year in America on Christmas trees, okay? Have you Think about it. 50 states, 300 million people, 330 million people, uh, whatever the number is. Think about it here. All right, here's what Nielsen gathered. In 2021, it is estimated that Americans spent $984 million on 21.6 million real trees. And check this out. On top of that, an additional $1.01 billion on 12.9 million artificial trees. So one, almost $2 billion was spent last year just on Christmas trees. That's not counting the decorations or uh, the lights or any of the rest of that. And then there are the decorations and the lights that go on the tree and all the money that's spent on that. So let's take a poll this evening. I need your help here to help settle a long-standing difference in the Lejeune home, okay? Um, uh, there are two types of lights you can put on your tree. There are white lights and there are colored lights. How many of you here vote you're on team colored lights? Raise your hand. You're on team colored lights. All right, put your hands down. How many of you are on team white lights? All right. How many of you, all right, put your hands back down. How many of you are very passionate about this topic? Raise your hand if you're passionate. Both of my hands are up, okay? Now, here's the thing. If only one of two adults in a home are passionate, then you're okay, What's, what happens when both adults are passionate and they have a different opinion? That's what we describe as Richard and Angela Lejeune, all right? Uh, differing opinions, and we're both firstborns, and we're both very passionate about this topic. And I uh, seek to be a spouse that defers to my wife, all right? I seek to be on things that don't matter. If there's a difference of opinion, I seek to let her have her way. There's a problem here. It matters. All right. It really matters what color the lights on the tree are. And uh, my poor kids have grown up in a home listening to mom and dad spat about colored lights versus white lights just about every year. And you say, well, who usually wins? We don't need to talk about who wins. All right. That, that's that's not important. All right. There's a difference in opinion. And so um, uh, let's see. Last year, we uh, we finally settled our differences. We now have two Christmas trees in our home. And so I have mine with my colored lights, and she has hers with her white lights. Um, so, uh, but the Christmas tree has become an annual tradition. And if you go and look at the history of uh, trees, Christmas trees being in homes and being decorated, I do believe from what I have looked at, although it's vague, uh, that there is a, a Christian roots in that uh, concept. Now, Christmas trees come in all shapes and sizes, all right? My kids decided they wanted to have a tree in their yard, and so my daughter took some of her money, I believe, last year and bought this little tiny three-foot tree, and she's got it decorated how she wants. And then my son found this little tree growing out in our backyard. It's a tiny little scrawny thing, and he uh, took a saw to it this year with our permission, and that's sitting in his uh, room right now. Now, that one looks like a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. How many of you know what I mean when I talk about a Charlie Brown Christmas tree, right? And so we've got four Christmas trees uh, all throughout our house. We love our Christmas trees. And you get some trees as small as the Charlie Brown tree, and then you get trees as big and glorious and magnificent as the one that stands at Rockefeller Center every year. How many of you ever gone and seen that tree? I did one year. It was pre-COVID, and it was packed. I think we went to the bar is, and it was packed. I don't know that it's as packed anymore, but 
it, it was a beautiful, beautiful thing to behold. And all of the Christmas trees that you have that are out there. And um, the first Christmas tree that we know of was not decorated with bows and stencil or tinsel and, and lights. Instead, it was decorated with God's son. And it was God's tree, and it was the one where his son was killed. Why? He was killed for the unrighteous deeds of humanity. So this evening I have uh, three thoughts that I want to provide you about this concept of God's Christmas tree. So the first thought is this. Let's talk about, talk about first the picking of the tree, the picking of the tree. Notice, uh, let's parallel our trees and our homes with God's Christmas tree. Notice letter A, a beautiful tree versus a brutal tree. A beautiful tree versus a brutal tree. I remember on a handful of occasions going out with my family as a boy uh, to pick out a tree. It's neat. I've got some of my extended family here this evening. My mom is sitting over here and my brother from Chicago and his wife are here. My sister from North Carolina and her husband are here. And so uh, number one of seven, two of seven, and three of seven are here this evening. And so it's pretty great. And they'll be able to relate with this. But I remember being a boy and riding in our little minivan and going around and uh, getting Christmas trees. And listen, uh, we, weren't, uh, we weren't super wealthy, so we weren't going to the highest dollar Christmas tree farm in town. We would go to places like Walmart and Home Depot, and there's no shame in that. But then uh, in Mississippi where we lived, there would be grocery stores that would sell Christmas trees out front of the grocery store. And occasionally we'd get our Christmas tree from there. But back then it didn't matter. We got a tree. We loaded up on top of our uh, vehicle. We had a station wagon for a while. How many remember the station wagons? You'd climb over the back seats in the, in the back hatch and hide back there. We'd load it on top of the station wagon or we'd load it on top of the minivan when we moved up to that. And uh, we, uh, we'd take that thing home and the excitement of getting to stand on it and getting it inside. And uh, I remember uh, Angela and I, after we got married and just getting started all on our own, and uh, we got married and I had a manual stick shift Saturn SL2 car. Any of you uh, people know what a Saturn SL2 Two looked like I owned one of those, and uh, we drove that thing until it was it just was no good anymore. But we went to got our first Christmas tree there in Baltimore on the corner of U.S. Uh, Highway 40 and Rossville Boulevard. There was a little Christmas tree uh, stand place you could buy them, and we got it netted up and stuck on top of the car, and uh, we got that thing tied down on top of the car. The tree was almost longer than our little compact car. We got that thing home and got that into our uh, little apartment there. Got that set up and picking out a tree is a festive occasion wrapped in family tradition and picking out the perfect tree is a process and it is an important one at that. How many of you here buy a tree every year? Go and get it from a, a place and bring it in. How many of you are artificial tree lovers? All right. That's simple, isn't it? You just pull it out of the attic and set it open, hope, it all, hope all the lights work uh, yet another year. But uh, the, the, uh, the traditions that are involved and the getting of the hot chocolate or maybe the stopping for pizza or Chinese food, and we, uh, we want that perfect tree. But the tree that God picked out was not beautiful. Rather, the tree that God picked out for the first Christmas tree was brutal. Now, I want to just uh, spur your, your thinking for a minute here. God formed Judas in the womb of his mother, knowing 
that Judas was going to one day betray Jesus. You think, stop and think how difficult that must have been for God to go through knowing I am now forming in the womb the man that's going to betray my son. See him killed. But just as God formed Judas, God also formed the tree from seedling all the way up till it was fully grown where the timber would come from where his son would be nailed. It was not a smooth looking cross like the one behind me on the wall. No, it was two splintered pieces, rough pieces of lumber that were attached. It was a brutal tree. Letter B, we're talking about the picking of the tree. Notice a graceful tree versus a gory tree. If you have a Bible, turn over to Isaiah chapter 53 for me. I'm very grateful for the ladies who put together the Christmas tree that stands in our church lobby. It's beautiful, isn't it? I watched as they decorated it. They brought it down out of our church attic and they got it uh, put up in, in pieces. And it was just a blank green tree when they started. And now if you look at it, you can hardly tell that there's any green there. It's all covered in, in gold and red and it just glows and shines. And I intentionally left the lights off in the lobby this evening so the tree would be more noticeable and visible. And uh, it, it is, it's just uh, beautiful to look at. Um, I remember as a small boy, I would sit in my living room and uh, we would take popcorn and cranberries and a thread and a needle and uh, we, would, uh, we would create uh, the, the strings of popcorn and cranberries and hang those uh, on our tree and we'd uh, put all the decorations up there and Christmas music playing and uh, the uh, tinsel that we put up on the tree uh, some years and I remember when we were all done... Uh, the the room would clear, or maybe another night when the room was clear, I'd just turn the lights off, and I'd just go sit on the couch, and I would look at that graceful tree, and I'd watch the lights blink or glow, and the colored lights blink and glow. That's the team I'm on, by the way. And um, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, just wonderful. In fact, is there anything better than sitting in a room that's a little chilly with a cup of hot chocolate and a blanket and a a fire in the fireplace and it being dark and just sipping on that hot chocolate and looking at that tree. I can't think of much more of a sentimental feeling than that. Now, I want to take you from your living room to the base of the cross of Calvary. Let's look up and behold God's Christmas tree. It's not going to make you feel warm and comfortable. Instead, it's going to make you feel uncomfortable uh, it's not pretty, it's gory. It's not graceful, it's gory. Look at Isaiah 53 and look at verse 1 with me. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up, speaking of Jesus, he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Why was the tree so gory? 
Verse 4, surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. The Bible says that no man wanted to look at him. He was uncomely. He was like a worm up there on that cross. God's Christmas tree was not adorned with ornaments, graceful ornaments, but rather by a man who hung there gory for me and for you. Now the irony in the cross is that while it's gory, you know what else it is? It's graceful. Because it was God's grace on full display. Oh, not a graceful thing to look at, but what came from it was a graceful gift. A graceful gift that was purchased up there on that cross. A graceful tree versus a gory tree. Letter C, notice, a straight tree versus a strong tree. Go back with me to 1 Peter 2 where we were at the beginning. When you go out into the woods at a tree farm... You're hunting for a tree that's full and nice and straight. You want to know that when you cut that thing down and you put it in your tree stand and you get that thing positioned just right in your living room or wherever you're going to put it, that it's going to stay up straight and stand. And uh, I've had to take a hacksaw to the base of more than one tree because it had a lean in it to get it just right. Maybe take a couple more layers of branches down and get that thing just right and get it straight and get it standing uh, so it looks good. But God was not as concerned about the tree being straight as he was about the tree being strong. Why? Because the tree had to bear the weight, not of a few bulbs, not of some strings of lights, That tree had to bear the weight of his son as he was nailed up there on that cross. But metaphorically, metaphorically, the tree hung or held more than just the body of Jesus. Look at 1 Peter 2 and look at verse 24. It says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. If there's any question what Isaiah 53 was talking about when it talks about being healed by stripes, Peter makes it crystal clear. He says, referencing Isaiah 53, it was Jesus who on that cross, he bore our sins. Now stop and think about that. Think about the billions of people that have lived. And every unrighteous deed and trespass and sin that they have done. Stop and think about just the sins that you yourself have committed today, this week, this month, this year. The Lord Jesus became all of those sins. And metaphorically, that tree was strong enough to bear the sins of the world. God's Christmas tree, He picked a tree that could handle the weight of the sins 
of the world. Number two, notice the placing of the tree. The placing of the tree. Letter A, notice our tree goes in a stand with great care. It's amazing to stop and think about 21.6 million trees being sold in the U.S. annually. For each of those trees, there is a tree stand that somewhere was manufactured. Some of you thinking, man, I'm in the wrong business. There's a lot of money to be made in the Christmas tree world. And for every tree, there's a stand to hold it up. And, you know, we put great care into making sure that, that trees, these trees that we invest our wallets into, stand in just the right place in our homes. God's Christmas tree was not so carefully placed. Letter B, we see God's tree was dropped in a hole with great cruelty. God's tree was dropped in a hole with great cruelty. Now, we look at Roman history to get this, but history tells us that Roman crucifixion was done by digging a hole two to three feet deep. Two to three feet deep. They would lay the cross flat on the ground and they would take the assailant, the one being killed, and they would they would take railroad-sized spikes and they would place them up against the wrists and the ankles and they would take a maul and they would run that nail in through the wrist into that tree. They do that with both wrists with a little bit of give in the elbow for the purpose of pulling themselves up so they could breathe. And then they would take the ankles, they would twist the lower half of the body sideways they would take an even longer spike. They would run that through both ankles and into the cross. And then once Jesus would have been nailed in that position, they would have stood that cross up with a system of ropes and hands on the base of the cross. They would have held on to that cross to keep it upright and then taken a maul or sledgehammer and hit the base of that cross until they knocked it over to where it would make the two or three foot drop downward and then it would clunk in the bottom of the hole causing every joint of the person on that cross to come out of place. Every joint in Jesus' body or most every joint in His body came out of place. You see, you took the time to carefully place that Christmas tree in your home this year. Jesus, God's Christmas tree, was not placed with care. It was dropped in a hole with great cruelty. There was no careful placement of a graceful tree. No, there was the cruel pushing of a gory tree into a deep hole. The picking of the tree, the placement of the tree. Number three, notice the preparation of the tree. Notice that we decorate with bulbs versus God's Christmas tree was decorated with blood. Decorated with blood. In fact, Jesus himself would say at the Last Supper, just a day before his arrest, for this is my blood in the New Testament, look here, which is shed, which is shed for many for the remission of sins. 
Jesus said, I will go to that tree, I will go to my Father's Christmas tree, and I will shed my blood. My blood will come pouring out of my body and will run down that wooden cross and drip on the ground below. Why is the shedding of blood, why is it so relevant? Well, because blood gives us life. In fact, Leviticus chapter 17 verse 11 tells us that the life of the flesh is in the blood. In fact, science also has caught up with the Bible and has confirmed this several thousand years after Moses penned it in Leviticus. You may remember hearing that when George Washington was sick, they put leeches on him to remove bad blood, only to find out later that science had it wrong and that, no, uh, you can't suck out bad blood. Uh, Blood gives life. And when we remove blood from the body, we suck life from the body. It's always great when science Science catches up with God and his word and uh, the blood is shed because life is in the blood. And you know what you and I did not have? You and I did not have life because of our sin. The Bible tells us in James one that sin brings death. And because we're sinners, we have brought upon us a condemnation, a sin curse, and that sin has cursed us. It's condemned us to an eternal death, an eternal separation from God in hell. So God sent Jesus to hang on his Christmas tree. And on that cross, the life giving blood of Jesus was shed and eternal life is offered through the blood of the perfect man, the Christ man, Jesus, who died for you and shed his blood. So your death, eternal death could be removed and eternal life could be offered. In fact, Hebrews nine says this, it says, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood and without Shedding of blood is no remission. Jesus shed his blood. And by the way, his blood does not metaphorically wash away your sins. It is no allegory. It is no metaphor. No, the physical blood of Jesus has been taken to heaven. And it is that blood that washes away our sin. Our trees are decorated with pretty bulbs, but the tree, God's Christmas tree, that cross was decorated with the blood of Jesus that poured from him that day. Jesus shed his blood for the remission of pardon of my sin and your sin. First Peter 2 verse 24, again, who his own self bear our sin and his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness by whose stripes ye were healed. If you're saved this evening, I'm here to tell you you're saved because many years ago, God had a Christmas tree and on that tree, he decorated it with the blood of his son and that blood gives you and has given you eternal life letter b we see decorated with tinsel versus decorated with a torn body tinsel is something that's almost a thing of the past i don't even know that you can find tinsel much in the store but in my childhood years as i mentioned uh, it was common to hang tinsel little silver strands on a tree and uh, you you maybe have seen a tree that looks that way but stand there with me at god's christmas tree and instead of seeing tinsel what we see is a torn body the torn body of his son up there have you ever stopped to think about why Men would take Jesus and brutalize him the way they did. There is a spirit of Antichrist in the world today. 
And I'm not talking about the Antichrist that will come during the tribulation. I'm talking about the spirit that is against Christ. It's all around us. Why do you think it's so easy for people to take Jesus' name in vain on a daily basis? It's the spirit of Antichrist. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, Ephesians 6 tells us, but against principalities and powers in high places. There's a war going on over our heads right now. It's a war of good versus evil, right versus wrong. And that war took place, and it wasn't a war in the air. No, it was manifested in men who claimed to be religious and hated Jesus. They hated Him because He was right and He was true and He was light and they were darkness. And He would preach truth and He would expose them as phonies and they hated Him for it because they had a grip on religious power. And that religious power equaled a lot of money. And Jesus came along and He began to expose them. And people were leaving their ranks and beginning to follow Jesus. And so they decided that He needed to be eliminated. My friends, when they tied Jesus to that post and they stripped Him naked and they took those nine whips and they brought him down into one handle and they beat him with it and they laid furrows in his back and they ripped his skin off and uh, they bludgeoned him and they beat him and they tore out his beard and they ran the thorns uh, of, of that crown down into his skull and they stuck the reed in his hand and they put the robe on his back and they mocked him and they bowed to him and they ran the nails into his hands and his feet and they hung him up there and they walked by and they mocked him there. His skin, his body was torn. In fact, every drop of blood came out of his body and they tore his body up so bad that even his heart burst inside his chest up there on that cross. How do you know that his how do we know that his heart burst? Because they took a spear and they ran it into his side, and blood and water came pouring out together. When water leaves a person's body instead of blood, it is a sign that every drop of blood has been drained from their body and that the heart, the physical heart, has burst. Did you know that my sin and your sin is what put Jesus on that cross and our sin broke the physical heart of the Savior? We decorate our trees with tinsel. God's Christmas tree was decorated with a torn body. Letter C, and lastly, let's finish with some hope here. We decorate with lights. The Lord decorated His with the light of the world. The light of the world. God made us to be drawn to light. If you're in a dark room and there's just a little pinhole of light, your eyes will be immediately drawn to it. Um, sin is represented by darkness and righteousness is represented by light. Humanity walks around in the darkness of sin. We try and mask our pain in all sorts of ways but end up stumbling around in our metaphorical darkness, hurting ourselves over and over again. Jesus, He came into this world and His entrance into Bethlehem was marked by what? By the light of the star. The light of the angels that show 
shone in that sky. And the wise men saw the light in the star. The shepherds saw the light put forth by the angels. Jesus would stand out in, in his teaching and preaching. And it would be said about him. He speaks as one having authority. And not as the Pharisees. Not as the Jews. And who was Jesus? He was light. In fact, he would declare himself in John 8, 12 to be the light of the world. Then spake Jesus again unto them saying, I am the light of the world. He that followeth me shall not walk in darkness, but shall have the light of life. Then he hung on the cross and shined the light of salvation. The cross still glows with the light of forgiveness and the light of clarity of salvation. You see, it is God's Christmas tree where the light of salvation shines the brightest because it is there that Jesus became your sin and my sin. It is there that Jesus suffered and paid the price for your sin. It is there that Jesus purchased the gift of eternal life. And it is there that Jesus offers pardon from sin's penalty. The light of God's Christmas tree is there. For each one who will humble himself or herself and receive the greatest gift, the gift of eternal life. If you're here this evening and you're relying on anything other than Jesus, my friend, you cannot have salvation unless you humble your heart and receive that gift purchased that day. It's not about how good you are or how bad you are. I run into two types of people who are misinformed about how they're getting into heaven. Some people think that they're good enough to get in. In fact, most people think they're good enough to get in. And I just want to ask you this. If you were good enough to get in all on your own, then why did God put Jesus through that brutal experience upon that cross? Why did God have Jesus bear your sin? You see, you're not good enough, or Jesus would have not had to come and die for you. But I meet a second group of people, and they are people who think that they're too bad. To get into heaven. And I'm here today to tell you that you're not too bad to get into heaven because Jesus became every wrongdoing that you've ever done. God's love is greater than your sin, God's grace is greater than your sin. And it's a gift. It was purchased and paid for at Calvary. It's extended free to you. Now, how silly would it be tomorrow morning to wake up and go into where your gifts are? And there's a gift under the truth, your name on it, and you just leave it there. And you refuse to open it. Someone took the time to go out and purchase that gift. Wrap that gift. Think of you in the process. And leave it there. And you say, you know what? I don't want it. And I'd say to you, how foolish. And how proud. God did not wrap up some simple gift. He wrapped up eternal life. And he's saying, here it is. It's yours. I've checked the name tag. It's got your name on it. But God can't make you take it. You have to ask Him for it. And if you will, He'll give it to you. And I want to help you ask Him for it right now if you've not done that before. Let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed. Every head bowed, every eye closed. God has a Christmas gift for you purchased through that first Christmas tree. It's free. It's free. It's yours. But you have to ask Him for it. And I want to help you do that right now. If you would like to receive the gift of eternal life, 
I just want to lead you in a very simple prayer. This is not some formal prayer where you just say something after the preacher just to do it. No, no. This is you from your heart by faith saying, I believe that Jesus died for me and I want his gift of eternal life. If you feel the Spirit of God drawing you from the inside, would you just pray this prayer? Under your breath, just simply say, Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I know my sin is wrong. I know I deserve death and hell for my sin. I believe you died on the cross in my place. I believe you suffered for me. Thank you for purchasing the gift of eternal life on my behalf. Please give me that gift and save my soul and take me to heaven when I die. In Jesus' name. If you prayed that prayer this evening, I sure would like to rejoice with you. I have no intention of embarrassing you in any way or putting any attention on you, but I would like to just rejoice with you. So with heads bowed and eyes closed and no one looking around, if you prayed that prayer tonight for the first time and you meant it in your heart, would you just slip your hand up? I prayed that prayer tonight. I see one hand. Is there someone else? I prayed that prayer this evening. I see another. I meant that prayer with all my heart. I asked Jesus to save me. If you prayed that prayer, I rejoice with you. I sure would like to shake your hand after the service and, uh, and congratulate you on receiving the gift of eternal life. Lord, thank you for the two hands that were raised Thank you for their souls being saved tonight. Thank you for giving them the gift of eternal life. Thank you that you've promised to guard that by your power in heaven. We rejoice that salvation is a gift that's eternal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.